Welcome everyone to our first podcast series for the Space or Hydrogel franchise. We are very privileged today to be opening up with two experts in the field. We have Professor Zaleski from the US and we have Professor Jane uh, from Ireland. So we're very excited to have the opportunity to have them speak on the scoring system for Space or Hydrogel. We are now going to run through uh, some disclaimers, so please hold tight for the podcast to start. Results from different clinical investigations are not directly comparable. Information provided is for educational purposes only. Spacel and spacel view hydrogels are intended to temporarily position the anterior rectal wall away from the prostate during radiotherapy for prostate cancer. And in creating this space, it is the intent of spacel and spacel view hydrogels to reduce the radiation dose delivered to the anterior rectum. Spacel and spacel view hydrogels contain polyethylene glycol, PEG. Spacel view hydrogel contains iodine. Prior to using these devices, please review the instructions for use for a complete listing of indications, contraindications, warnings, precautions, and potential adverse events. Welcome everybody to this exciting event. My name is Professor Sunil Jain. I'm a professor of clinical oncology at Queen's University, Belfast. Um, and I'd like to invite Professor Mike Zaleski to introduce himself. Hello, greetings. Uh, my name is uh, Michael Zalewski. I'm a professor of radiation oncology at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. And I also serve as the chief of the brachytherapy service here at uh, uh, my institution and the director of genitourinary radiation oncology as well for our department of radiation oncology and serve as a consultant for Boston Scientific. So I, I couldn't be more delighted to be joined by Professor Mike Zalewski uh, from Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center today. He, he is really a household name to all of us in prostate cancer oncology. He's been a leader in our field for many years in terms of radiation therapy, brachytherapy, stereotactic radiotherapy, and perirectal spacers. And today we are going to discuss spacer, a perirectal spacer, and in particular, particular discuss the need for a spacer quality score and to discuss work that Dr. Zalewski and colleagues have carried out developing the spacer quality score. Mike, it's really great to have you here today. Pleasure to be here and uh, speaking with you as well and look forward to uh, a very interactive and exciting discussion. Great. Uh, so Mike, I think if we, if we step back uh, to discussing spacers in, in general to start with as, a, as an introduction, um, I wonder if you could give everyone an overview of, in your practice, when do you use perirectal spacers? Uh, sure. Uh, we generally use uh, the hydrogel spacers, especially when we apply higher doses of radiation. So routinely, uh, we utilize a hydrogel spacer for all of our stereotactic body radiotherapy prostate uh, treatments. 
So SBRT at our institution routinely is uh, using a dose of 40 gray in five fractions, uh, generally delivered every other day. And so prior to planning, we would uh, uh, arrange for uh, the hydrogel spacer to be placed. Uh, and routinely our SBRT is all MR guided, planned that is, and some of our patients are undergoing MR planning and end treatment guidance with an MR um, LINAC. Uh, I also use the hydrogel spacer among patients who receive uh, moderate hypofractionated radiotherapy. Uh, our general moderate hypofractionated regimen is 2.7 gray for 26 fractions. And uh, pretty routinely, uh, I utilize the hydrogel spacer, especially in light of the uh, European randomized trials that have shown either with a control group or moderate hypofractionation, uh, the incidence of rectal bleeding could be about 12 or 14% as reported in the CHIP study and um, uh, among other studies as well. So uh, to at least uh, address that potentially higher incidence of rectal bleeding with the application of those higher doses, I've utilized uh, hydrogel spacers in those settings as well. And could I ask you for patients with intermediate risk prostate cancer, how do you decide who is offered SBRT and who is offered moderately hypofractionated radiotherapy? Yeah, that's a great question, Sunil. And it, it, it depends on a number of factors, at least in our practice. You know, uh, among patients, for instance, who have significantly higher uh, IPSS scores associated with uh, more significant baseline urinary related symptoms. Uh, I generally try to avoid the higher doses per fraction associated with SBRT. And I would generally treat patients uh, with uh, a moderate hypofractionated technique. Uh, but I would say overall at our institution about for intermediate risk patients, about 80% of those uh, patients are, are getting SBRT um, and uh, the other would be getting 20% uh, would be getting a moderate hypofractionated regimen. I'd also add that among patients who have radiographic extracapsular extension, those patients, we often use a combined regimen of high dose rate brachytherapy in combination with uh, an SBRT supplemental treatment. And uh, along the lines of ASCEND-RT trial, uh, showing the combination regimen uh, was more effective and had superior biochemical control, uh, as well as the UK Hoskins study demonstrating that benefit in particular for high dose rate brachytherapy compared to external beam alone. Uh, we, for selected intermediate risk patients, we've 
use these combination regimens. Yeah, and I think seeing the PSB late toxicity data published that, that showed a, a slightly higher rate of late GU toxicity uh, with the, the stereotactic arm uh, again has made me slightly uh, more cautious uh, and certainly more informed uh, when I'm discussing SBRT with these patients. And for some of those patients, I, I would offer moderately hypofractionated radiotherapy in lines with the CHIP trial. Um, so if we could come to spacers then, your institution and yourself, you have had many years of experience of using perirectal spacers now, and I know globally that there, there've been several hundred thousand patients who've, been, who've had a spacer as part of their radiation therapy treatment. Um, I wonder if you could just summarize your practice um, for uh, who to offer spacer to? Is it all patients undergoing external beam radiotherapy? What about combination patients with brachytherapy? Yeah, that's, that's a great question, Sunil. And uh, I, I think what we generally try to do is if the patient you know, is getting some kind of high dose regimen, uh, we would consider uh, you know, spacer uh, treatments, uh, the hydrogel uh, spacer application, as, as we all know, reduces the volume of rectum exposed to those higher doses. So if anybody, for instance, you know, in our practice and also was based on the pivotal study inclusion criteria has gross extracapsular extension posteriorly, we wouldn't put in, you know, the hydrogel spacer. Um, at our institution, we do have a grading system made by the uh, radiologist where if it's possible uh, extracapsular extension posteriorly, we still would consider placement of the spacer. But if it's suspicious, um, which is uh, considered a 75% likelihood of actually having extracapsular disease, and that is posterior extracapsular extension, uh, we uh, try to avoid the placement of a uh, hydrogel spacer. Uh, you have to be also cautious in the setting of re-irradiation uh, where there could be a good amount of fibrosis already from prior treatments. And so I think that's where it, it may be actually very advantageous to use the spacer to try to reduce the rectal um, you know, injuries that could be associated with re-irradiation. But then um, you really have to be concerned if there's so much fibrosis you don't want to introduce um, a hydrogel spacer that could lead to some complications or toxicity. Um, and then, you know, the question that you pose, which is, which is a really good one, when you have combination therapies like brachytherapy in conjunction with external beam, that would be an ideal scenario to utilize the spacer. Um, it's sometimes... Uh, is a little bit complex um, since our regimen is the brachytherapy boost first, followed by the SBRT supplemental treatment. And so it's a little bit difficult to uh, logistically to utilize the spacer 
and then have another procedure for the brachytherapy and then have an, uh, on a different day so that you don't have any interference uh, on your ultrasound from visualizing during the application of the spacer. And then you have the supplemental external beam. Not infrequently, if feasible, after the brachytherapy procedure, I, in my practice, I consider uh, placing the spacer to further reduce the dose to the rectum from uh, the a supplemental delivery of the SBRT. Uh, but interestingly, uh, during brachytherapy, perhaps because the prostate is kind of pinned up anteriorly, uh, we don't see a significant amount of rectal exposure uh, and our intraoperative constraints are really limited, you know, uh, with lower doses to the rectum. But in general, um, I think since we, I, I do a lot of placement of the spacers, I think, as I mentioned, um, you know, the situations where we don't use it, uh, probably mostly in the setting of uh, posterior extracapsular extension, that would mean that lateral extracapsular extension is probably, and that's our practice, is not an exclusion in, in our practice for utilizing uh, the hydrogel spacer. Is that mostly, you know, your practice, uh, Sunil? Yeah, I think that 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 does reflect our practice. Um, I mean, we we haven't yet, uh, for, really, for practical reasons, uh, gone down the route of periorectal spacers for combination brachytherapy and external beam. Um, but uh, similar to yourself, all, all our patients have a pre biopsy. MRI scan, which gives us really very good visualization of, of the location of the tumor. Um, and as you say, you do quite often get this, this comment uh, from the radiologists uh, suggesting that there may be early extracapsular extension. And if that is, if that is lateral uh, towards the neurovascular bundles or even more laterally, uh, we review every image, uh, and, and if it's not gross extracapsular extension, we, we would certainly consider a periorectal spacer in those patients. If it's direct posterior invasion, then we would not uh, we would not recommend a spacer. So very very similar to yourself, I think. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, we have lots of discussions in the UK about the quality of the spacer insertion. And I, I think it, it's fair to say that, uh, you know, when we present on this, we, we always select the beautiful images where, where there's, you know, one plus centimeter of space at the base, the mid gland, the apex of the prostate bilaterally. But that, that you know, in my experience, in the UK's experience is not the case. Um, I was wondering what sort of variation do you see as an expert implanter or from other institutions in the US um, and how, how concerned are, are you by variation? That's an excellent question. I'm glad, you know, we're bringing it up, you know, as far as the variability of the quality of the spacer placement, which, which I think is an important topic um, to address and also to, um, for the future, to kind of figure out how we could improve the symmetry, the quality of that placement. Because let's face it, uh, you know, just by merely placing a hydrogel spacer, um, however it is delivered and implanted, um, 
is no guarantee for the elimination of rectal toxicity. And without a question as well, you could imagine that since hydrogel spacing is related to the amount of rectum that's spared from the high dose of radiation, obviously you'll get greater sparing if there is a, a better quality of the placement. And so we've always, as, as has been associated in the literature, symmetry of the spacer, meaning if it's lopsided to one side or another, it's probably not optimal. Um, and, and if it's, there's very little separation that's achieved, that's probably not optimal as well. I would say that in our practice, about 80, 85% of the time, we have really good symmetry and, uh, and thickness or separation that's achieved. I think those situations where you just can't achieve it would be that there just happens to be scarring uh, for any such reason in that perirectal space. Uh, and that scarring could uh, preclude the ability to have that perirectal space open up and um, really impede the, the, the delivery and distribution of that hydrogel into those areas. Um, and that could sometimes only be realized when you do the hydrodissection and you realize that things are not opening up in a particular area. And sometimes even when you are right in that region and you just simply don't see it opening up, and you have to make a clinical decision whether you want to even continue to do that procedure because there could be so much scarring that's there, perhaps from uh, chronic prostatitis, let's say, unrelated to obviously any disease or prior treatment. So I would say overall about uh, three quarters of the time, maybe a little bit more, the, the quality is really good. And in other situations, uh, it's not ideal. We have found, for instance, that it's a little more challenging to really open up consistently the apex uh, region. And that's, I think, because A, the prostate is really juxtaposed to the rectum right there. Uh, and uh, again, even with hydrodissection, sometimes these don't open. Uh, Certainly, it's better to, you know, if you have good separation at the base and at the midplane of the prostate, I think that would be a, achieve a, a good implant. But if we want the ideal hydrogel spacer placement, uh, we're probably talking about opening it up at the base, midplane of the prostate, and of course, at the um, apex of the prostate as well. I think, but it yet has to be validated and assessed prospectively that the separation and the achieving the ideal placement for a prostate does space. Yeah, that's a brilliant point. And I think that people get nervous about the possibility of rectal wall infiltration because exactly as you say, there, there tends to be a rectal hump just below the apex and, and you know we, we try to uh, put our needle over the rectal hump and then into the perirectal space 
Um, but certainly from UK discussions, the apex has been a, an area of challenge um, that many people would like to improve. Right, exactly. And, and along the lines that you're saying, Sunil, I, I would say that, um, you know, the clinician should not be hesitant about aborting a procedure if there really is no separation that's being achieved upon hydrodissection. Uh, because these procedures are obviously done to reduce toxicity. And if you're running into such significant fibrosis, that's just in, impeding your ability just to hydrodissect, uh, you really need to be you know, cautious about going ahead with the procedure. And so during hydrodissection, which is a really critical and integral part of the procedure, uh, you wanna just make absolutely sure that, uh, that the space opens up on you and then you could proceed to the next part of, of the procedure, i.e. the hydrogel spacer uh, delivery. Disclaimer, as with any medical treatment, there are some risks involved with the use of space or and space or view hydrogels. Potential complications associated with space or and space or view hydrogels include, but are not limited to, pain associated with space or and space or view hydrogels injection, pain or discomfort associated with space or and space or view hydrogels, local inflammatory reactions, infection, including abscess, urinary retention, urgency, constipation, acute, chronic, or secondary to outlet perforation, rectal tenesmus, muscle spasm, mucosal damage, ulcers, fistula, perforation, including the prostate, bladder, urethra, and rectum, necrosis, allergic reaction, localized or more severe reactions such as, such as anaphylaxis, embolism, venous or arterial embolism is possible and may present outside of the pelvis, potentially impacting vital organs or extremities, syncope and bleeding. The occurrence of one or more of these complications may require treatment or surgical intervention. Euro-989811-8B. Caution, the law restricts these devices to sell by or on the order of a physician. Indications, contraindications, warnings and instructions for use can be found in product labeling supplied with each device or at www.ifu-bsci.com. Information for use only in countries with applicable health authority registrations. This material is not intended for use in France. Important information. The information about patient selection is specific to Dr. Zalewski's practice only. In Canada, space or hydrogel is only approved to be used in prostate cancer patients without evidence of posterior extracapsular extension. In the US pivotal trial, patients with extracapsular extension and previous pelvic irradiation were excluded. The information about patient selection is specific to Dr. Jane's practice only. In Canada, space or hydrogel is only approved to be used in prostate cancer patients without evidence of posterior extracapsular extension. In the US pivotal trial, patients with extracapsular extension and previous pelvic irradiation were excluded. The information provided is based on the experiences of Dr. Zalewski and Dr. Jane 
and does not represent the opinion or recommendation of Boston Scientific. BSC does not promote or encourage the use of its devices outside the approved labeling. The presenter's experience of BSC products may not be interpreted or relied upon to support clinical claims about BSC devices or product comparison claims regarding BSC and competitive devices. The experience of other users may vary. This presentation contains several case studies. Results from case studies are not predictive of results in other cases. Results in other cases may vary. Regarding the publications referenced in this presentation are for information purposes only. The content of these articles are under the sole responsibility of the authors, publishers, and does not represent the opinion of BSC.